financial services game is changing and banking as a service is leading the charge. We've interviewed some of the industry's biggest changemakers in our brand new six-part documentary video series, Decoding Banking as a Service, which has just launched on our YouTube channel. Jump inside the minds of some of the biggest names in the space and find out why Bass is so hot right now and how your business can reap the benefits. To watch the current episode, head to bit.ly forward slash decoding Baz. Okay, let's start today's show. Hello and welcome to Fintech Insider Insights. I'm Simon Taylor and in today's episode, we're going to be talking about the evolving culture of savings. The way in which we save has gone through some major changes over the years and the pandemic is only accelerating that. To help us dive into this topic, I am joined by some fantastic guests. Uh, making the Fintech Insider debut, we have uh, Chris Hutchins, who's Head of Financial Automation at Wealthfront. Thanks for joining us, Chris. Can you tell us about you and Wealthfront, please? Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, so I'll start with Wealthfront. We're the only next-gen banking service that automates your finances. So automation is so important to our clients because it takes the worry and work out of managing your money, saving, takes all of that off your plate so you can focus on things you enjoy more. We offer products like high-interest checking, low-cost investment management, and we tie it all together with a service called Autopilot that kind of carries out your saving strategy for you. Um, I head up uh, the automation team on the product side and you know we're really excited to just keep building more automation into the product and let people stop being bogged down by the stress of saving and money management. Set and forget. We love those uh, those automation things. That's that's the way forward. Um, we're also joined for the first time by Karina Lamberti, who is VP of Product over at Chip. Uh, Karina, can you tell us a little bit about Chip and yourself, please? Hi, Simon. Uh, thank you so much for having me today. And I'll start with Chip as well. So um, at Chip. Our mission is to build the best saving account in the world. Um, so about three years ago, um, we launched our app that is now used by 300,000 users. And we offer the best uh, interest rates in the UK. And basically, we use um, artificial intelligence to save up money. And uh, it's super simple to sign up. And then you can connect your bank in a few seconds, set your goals. So tell us about like basically what you want to save for. And then we start automatically save for you and we give you access to the best rates in the market. And I am VP of product at Chip. So I am in charge of product development and basically understanding our customer needs and what's coming next for our product. And like all of those things, thank you so much for chipping in. Um, last but not <laughs> least, we have uh, Giuseppe Caltabiano, uh, who is co-founder and CEO over at EverUp. Uh, Giuseppe, thank you so much. Uh, tell us about you and EverUp, please. Of course, Simon. EverUp is a price-linked uh, saving startup, uh, which will be launching in the UK in beta in January. Uh, we are on a mission to make uh, saving fun and get everyone to save. Uh, we turn saving uh, from a delayed gratification into an instant gratification by embedding free-to-play instant games and lotteries uh, into a money account. Customer funds are safeguarded and are not, are not used to play. Uh, you only use the virtual coins we award you. The more you save and perform actions such as uh, signing in, uh, leveling up, uh, inviting your friends to join, the more virtual coins you receive, the higher your chances uh, uh, of winning our tax-free cash prizes. 
so the modern day equivalent of uh, kind of the uh, the premium bonds, as it were. Which, um, I think there's a startup that was in the last Y Combinator class that's doing the same in the US as well. Uh, super interesting space. How do we how do we gamify and make it uh, get people addicted to saving? Get them addicted to something that might actually be in their interests. What a crazy idea! Uh, I love the sound of that, Giuseppe. Well, thank you so much all for joining us. Um, I'm just going to start out by looking at. Um, kind of contrasting how things used to be versus how they are now. And, and Karina, I want to start with you. I mean, you mentioned in your um, intro, you're speaking to a lot of customers lately. Do you think that the way consumers save and manage their wealth has changed compared to 10, 20 years ago? And what are those major changes? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, I think there has been like some huge uh, shifts in the attitudes towards saving. So when we started uh, at CHIP, Basically, we wanted to um, solve like two main problems. So the first one was that like traditionally saving has always been about kind of like empty buckets of of money. And um, I think the way millennials um, save and their behavior towards saving is much more outcome driven. Um, So it's not about just saving for the sake of saving. But we want to have a clear objective and a clear goal that we want to get to. Um, so I always like, I don't know, compare my saving experience to like my parents' saving experience. And they were just like, you know, saving for the future. Um, whereas like I save for a very specific objective or a very specific goal. Um, so yeah, so kind of like the first problem that we were really looking at was like trying to put some like um, some kind of goals towards those empty buckets. And then the second, I think, shift that has been in, in attitude is like, I mean, back in the days, like interest rates used to be good. <laughs> now they've massively fallen. Um, and we need to find like, you know, new and creative ways to help people access returns. Because at the end of the day, you know, we, we are incentivized to save if we can get something, like gain something from it. And I think it's like, you know, it's, it's really exciting how we can find alternative creative ways to to help people get that return chris you wanted to jump in there yeah another those are both things that we've kind of seen also one interesting thing is we've noticed that in the kind of millennial crowd we we constantly hear from our clients that they're they're paying us to not talk to them right we've gone from an industry where people walked into a bank and they wanted a relationship and they wanted to sit down and now we hear no i i want to do everything from my phone i don't want to have to go to the branch something that the pandemic's even more accelerated uh, and so I just think that's another another big change we've seen is that technology now lets you do all of this from your phone. And it's something that I think fintechs are really well positioned to kind of accelerate faster than traditional financial institutions. Yeah, that whole get out of the way and, and sort of uh, help me meet my goals thing is, is a fundamental difference, especially given how much banks talk about trust and talk about relationship as being their key differentiators in the, in the generational shift. Giuseppe, I, I want to come to you and sort of ask, um, you know, have you seen major developments in, in how we save and how do you think about the first two um, comments from there from Karina and, and Chris? Well, definitely over time, uh, fintech has brought uh, an amazing uh, uh, sparked innovation at an incredible pace uh, across the saving and wealth markets. Uh, suddenly, new digital saving proposition changed the way we save from one side, uh, removing the frictions that prevented people to save, and from the other side, uh, democratizing access to wealth management with product and services that before were accessible only to, to wealthy people. Uh, 
And so fintech encourage people to change their approach to saving and have, and have bridged the gap between understanding how to save money and doing it in practice and, and regularly. I, I, I think on that point, uh, Giuseppe, there's always that question of financial education. And Chris, I want to go back to you when you know people want to get out of the way. Do they need to understand how to save money or is it more how the the saving and the automation helps them get to that goal and that thing that they want in the future. How do you how do you think about that? Because the education point always always comes up. Is is the consumer just less educated and the, they need that education? Yeah, I don't think they're necessarily less educated, right? I think there is a problem that at least in the U.S. and maybe also in most other countries, it's not something that's part of our educational curriculum to teach people about their finances and investing. Um, we find that there's a broad spectrum. Some people really want to dig into every single detail. And for those people, we have white papers they can go read about how all of our products you know, work and investment methodologies. And some people say, no, I just want to give the money and you take care of where it goes. And that's kind of the inspiration behind the autopilot pro- product we have now is, you know, we'll just monitor your accounts. And when there's extra money, we'll start saving it. And some people really want to be involved and understand everything. And some people just want to know that they're saving and be really hands off. And do you see the same, Karina, that like there's this almost that two types of personality that like there's the people that really want to be involved and the people that just like hands off? Yeah, yeah. I think we see that at Chip as well. And I mean, we we have um, a very strong community, uh, which we call Chipmunks. And that's exactly like it serves exactly that purpose for people that really want to get involved and really want to learn uh, much more about savings. And that's where we kind of like serve that content. And then, uh, but, you know, part of like the beauty of chip is also the fact that, you know, you set it up and then we automatically save for you and you don't have to think about it. And you go back in, in like a month and suddenly you have saved like quite a bit of money. So we do see that like the, the two groups. As well. I, th- I think it's interesting that there's almost two or three fundamental problems that we've unpacked there. One, savings didn't feel very rewarding or worthwhile. And there's different approaches to that, which is how do you look at higher returning products and innovation there? Giuseppe, to your point, how do you create surprise and delight around uh, around that experience? And then also, how do you take the second thing is how do you take the people who were just bad at saving or wouldn't have thought to save and kind of give them an experience that's so frictionless, it's almost happening on behalf of them. And those appear to be the things. Uh, Giuseppe, I want to talk to you about, like, has open banking played a role in that for you guys? Because I know with with Chip, it's certainly important. And do you think generally, um, you mentioned a little bit about like fintech has come into the place. Is it something also about the mobile device and uh, and that that's really changed it? Sure. So regarding open, open banking, I think... Uh, there were a lot of expectation on open banking and uh, it feels like uh, it hasn't yet delivered to its promise. In the saving space so far, the main application has been aggregating the account APIs to inform the assessment of how much a customer can afford to save. Uh, personal finance management tools provide insight into spending habits and guidance around uh, budgeting and uh, in, in saving. Uh, however, now we are just starting to see the payment initiation APIs to move money between customer accounts, uh, enabling customers to seamlessly move money between their own accounts. It's, it's uh, foundational to ensuring uh, a basic money and saving management proposition in the end. 
Additionally, I think importantly, I believe that the recent talks about the uh, open banking development in the area of sweeps uh, and mm. uh, variable recurring payment is a game changer for fintechs. And the new opportunities for innovation can be can be created uh, around that. And I think it's worth unpacking that, right? Because there's a few ways to, to do that. I mean, Karina, open banking is probably near and dear to, to your heart, given what you guys do at CHIP and kind of sitting over the top of, of the banks um, in, in the way that you do and creating that, that savings capability. Um, do you want to unpack variable recurring, as I think, as payments and sweeps a little bit for the audience and talk about what that could enable um, from a UK perspective. And I think there are other ways to achieve it, but having regulation do it's quite interesting. Yeah. So, I mean, in general, like I think open banking has been like amazingly helpful for us because um, we do manage to basically like capture a lot of transactional data and really like customize the amount that we suggest our users to save because we can really understand what is their income, what are their expenses, what is their expenditure in the past like few days, and then like really offer like a very customized uh, save amount. Um, in terms of like payment initiation, I agree with Giuseppe. Like I think it's going to be like we've only started seeing what it can offer and is going to be hugely uh, impactful on, on, on the industry. Just like imagine if you can like, you know, immediately deposit in a investment fund and just like you know immediately buy at the price that you see on your mobile app rather than having to wait like you know like five days as it is now and especially when it's going to be like you know available for recurring payments i mean at least from like you know a chip point of view where we're all about like building that habit to have like recurring savings is going to be even better and even faster and it's really going to like deliver, I think, like a super fast and a super um, frictionless user experience, which is what like most of our users are already experiences in other industries, like, you know, with Deliveroo and Uber. And it's like, you know, money is even more important than your food and your taxes. So that that speed needs to get to like, you know, finance as well. Yeah, absolutely. And Chris, I want to bring a US perspective on that because like open banking, I think it's been you know, quite revolutionary there, even though it's it's not been regulation driven. I think the work of Plaid and others has has kind of changed the game for what you can do for from a customer standpoint. But Wealthfront has also um, some some interesting ways of, of managing some of these challenges for consumers. How do you think about that from a US perspective, making things more immediate and making the, helping people really see that money grow, even if even if you are more out of the way yeah two thoughts so one you know we've seen a shift over the last 10 15 years to people having lots of different products so i imagine my parents earlier you know they had all their accounts with their guy at their bank and now people have accounts across places so without open banking or kind of account aggregation you don't even have visibility into what's happening you can't move money around so it makes it really hard for someone to do anything automate automatically and so now we have that obviously there's lots of improvements coming I think one of the challenges is when it's not standardized, um, you know, you can only control what each individual partner builds. And so that creates a lot of opportunity. So, you know, we worked hard to make it so that if a client, you know, direct deposits their paycheck, we can get that them, to them two days early. And then we can build our own rails between our banking and our investing products so that we could get them to the point probably next year where you could actually get your paycheck two days early, invest it that same day, which is something that kind of wouldn't be possible otherwise. So 
it would be great if we could do that with any institution between any account, but you know, we're pretty far away from that. It feels like so we're you know we we've built a lot of that in house um, while we still connect to what's going on outside. I, I think that is an interesting perspective that in the US you have more problems to solve, but you end up in a similar place where the consumer demand is still what's driving it. And you're going to figure out how to suck more of that inside your organization and solve more of the problem. But it would be helpful to have other stuff. Uh, Giuseppe, you wanted to jump in there. I think um, to, to, to Chris's point, uh, to enable effective uh, long-term financial planning, we need a much broader set of data. Uh, for instance, uh, data on investments and insurance policy so that we can provide truly effective uh, recommendation or insights. And in fact, in the UK, the, the regulator has recognized the need to allow a wider range of financial data to be accessed. So possibly in the future, we can move to a truly open finance where uh, other segments uh, such as uh, insurance, wealth management, uh, investment, uh, pension can be accessed uh, and we can therefore aggregate all this data to have a truly holistic view uh, of, of, of the customer personal circumstances and financial circumstances. So we can, we can uh, uh, create a view of the customer, a true view of the customer financial health in, in order to make more informed decisions. Yeah, it's hugely exciting if it moves just beyond the, the current accounts checking debit towards like all of your accounts anywhere. That's where things really would, would level up. Uh, Chris, I want to come back to you as well and talk about the P word, the pandemic. Um, how have you seen customers react? And, and especially given how crucial um, healthcare is to the US and savings, you know, kind of was always a, a piece of that puzzle. Like, what are your thoughts on, you know, the change that that has led for your business and, and for the market? Yeah, so you know, if you look at the market, there's been quite a bit of volatility since March, um, and we've actually seen kind of record levels of sign up. Uh, it's not something we've typically seen. Usually during volatility, people kind of hold their cash, um, and we we just I think we've seen something different. I think a lot of people saw that right after the pandemic, the market came back pretty quickly, and they thought, "Wow, you know, I shouldn't be waiting by the sidelines. Maybe I need to get in." And so. When we talk to them, uh, these are long-term bets. They're not people just trying to play games. They've kind of decided, I better get back in the market or in for the first time. I know when we were doing research for our automation services, you kind of constantly heard, well, I just, I don't know if it's too expensive. I don't want to get in now. I don't want to get in now. And I think if the pandemic did anything, it showed you just need to be in or you're going to be out at the wrong time. And, and so we've seen a lot of growth there. Um I can't speak to all Americans. You know, the pandemic's been really, really hard for a lot of people. Um, you know, our target audience is kind of millennials who save. And, you know, in our client base, it hasn't been too big of an issue. They typically have jobs that, you know, they can be done remotely. And so they've been fortunate enough to keep their jobs. And, you know, while we don't have government mandated healthcare, many employers offer those. And so for our client base, we've actually seen increased savings. As people aren't spending on travel, they're not spending on uh, entertainment, so they're actually savings going up. Uh, but I know that's not the case for everyone, and so you know I, I can't speak as much to them. But you know I know it's not a, a trend across all people. Yeah, there's universal trends are hard to to try and uh, figure out and fathom, aren't they, Chris? Um, Karina, you want us to jump in there? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think like at Chip, what we've seen two major tr like trends during the pandemic. So. The first one is that like 
all of our users, so across like our 300,000 users, like we've seen people saving more. So on average, like seven times more than what they used to. And also what we've seen, the second trend that we've seen is basically their goals have dramatically shifted. So before the pandemic, it was much more around holidays or like, you know, dinner out or night out now is much more like long-term plans. Mm. So like, I mean, one of our like more, um, um, one of our, uh, more used goals is a rainy day fund. So there's a dramatic change in like what, you know, people are saving for. And we, and we absolutely like saw that in chip. Isn't it interesting how the, People have gotten more into the equities market, as Chris was saying, but they're also trying to think more rainy day. And Chris, to your point, uh, if you zoom out on markets over a long enough time horizon that they're going to give you 7% a year, it's just whether you can afford to stay in the markets for that long and given given how old you are and what you want to achieve. Um, but then at the same time, they've done so in more of a risk-averse way. And the, I think the market narrative is often that it's, oh, well, all of these Robinhood traders are coming in and taking loads of bets and being really risky. But the customer research is actually saying something quite different. There's a savvy consumer out there who may be averaging into certain sectors who's doing things quite differently. And I, and I think that narrative shift is, is is a really important one that I think the last two comments have both brought out. Um, Giuseppe, oh, sorry, Chris, you want us to jump in? I was just going to say an interesting thing we saw. So we, we launched this product, uh, I can't remember, a few years ago called Portfolio Line of Credit, right? And we kind of take an approach to let clients who have a lot of money in the market or have or have money in the market borrow a small enough percentage of their portfolio that we don't expect regular market fluctuations to draw margin calls and all that kind of stuff, but give them a little access without having to get out of the market. And it's something that we've seen uh, people take advantage of right now. If you need some money, but you don't want to get out of the market, you can borrow against it. And you know, as as a counter to that, I was I was talking with Wells Fargo as I uh, get a get a mortgage on a, a new home and learned they're like, oh, we have that product, but it's only available to people that have over a million dollars. And so, one of the things I've seen is some of these tools that kind of give you more flexibility uh, that used to be only for high net worth are now becoming more and more available. I know other fintechs are offering a similar product, and so it actually gives you a little bit of of both worlds. So. Obviously, I think some people should keep some amount of money in cash, but at a certain point, you know, you can borrow safely a small percentage of your portfolio for emergencies and it kind of gives you more flexibility to benefit from the market return. And this is to Karina's point earlier about the need for innovation there in a low interest rate environment. Actually, how much of your uh, rainy day fund is staying in in full time cash? Because that's that's actually probably not saving. It's losing two percent a year, if not three percent a year. So, like, how, how much is your rainy day fund, and do you really want it to be declining by two percent a year, given given that interest rate environment? Um, Giuseppe, just just on that basis, I think to close out this section um, of of his of historics. What are the big trends that you've seen then? I think we've we've covered off a lot of them, but especially in this last year since the pandemic, has there been anything in your product or your user base that's really shifted? I think Karina and Chris spoke to a couple of things. Well, look, um, uh, obviously EverUp uh, will launch in, in January, so I can tell you what I, I observed uh, from, um, uh, from an helicopter view, let's say. Uh, obviously, the pandemic has accelerated the, uh, the flight to digital, uh, the digital adoption of uh, fintech solution that help you save more. 
and, and the shock of the pandemic means that uh, we feel very differently about uh, about depth about about depth level. Um, so uh, for those who have been able to keep their jobs and maintain uh, a healthier f- financial position, the super the super saver of the COVID area, the question is. Uh, Will uh, the upturn in their savings we be maintained in the future? Um, uh, uh, from this perspective, the Bank of England actually uh, said it believes that the UK saving ratio could peak at as much as 70% by the end of the year, which is uh, steeper than in the aftermath of the 2008 financial crisis. Uh, so, uh, obviously, uh, uh, the impact uh, is different for everyone. Um, With our finances on lockdown, we became forced savers, unable to spend on holidays, socializing, uh, as well as fear savers, uh, who limited our spending over concern about about the future. I think, Giuseppe, I think that um, change in mindset is the really big one. It sounds like the trend historically, what I've heard in this first section, has been you know, people want the the savings to either A, get out of their way, or B, at least be um, simpler, 100% digital, and as much as possible automated. Um, and then there's also the piece around it's harder than ever to get a return. And there were people for whom savings products weren't available and fintechs are starting to to drive that to, to happen. The pandemic seems to not only have accelerated those shifts, but changed the behavior towards people who uh, are starting to, yes, move into the markets, but also think about their rainy day funds and, and really uh, focus on longer term goals. Uh, so I think that's like the the perfect opening section. We're going to come back and talk about where we go next in the, in the next section. But first, we're just going to take a quick pause here and shout out to our sponsors for this episode. This episode is brought to you by Jack Henry Digital, the pioneers of personal digital banking. They are reviving the vision of financial institutions being on a first-name basis with customers by offering a platform for personal, human-centered service that puts the customer first. Your customers experience immediate accessibility while your employees get cloud-based, core-connected tools to offer service at the moment of need. To learn more, explore the team's latest insights at jackhenrydigital.com. Thanks, and let's get on with the show. Um, so coming back in, I'm kind of interested in in your views on how the pandemic's really going to affect people going forward. You've got um, Gen Z and millennials who've been through uh, possibly some in the workforce that went through 2000, 2008, and now this pandemic, and if not, certainly the last two for the millennials. And Gen Z, who were already very dubious of things like credit cards, now starting to think about you know what's their financial future going to look like. Um, what does what does the future look like for for this generation, um, Chris? I'm going to start with you as you um, kind of speak, speak to these uh, these segments. Yeah, so I think millennials haven't had it easy, but there are a couple of bright spots. Uh, we've seen you know people who go through types of recessions actually learn a lot and and change their habits, and so we've seen the the impact of different recessions affect millennials, forcing them to think differently. Um, we we found that. I think over 70% responded that a recession led them to a career path that sets them up for long-term success. So while it's been hard, Gen Z is just starting to enter the workforce. I think this could have really, really strong kind of impacts on their future savings habits um, and might feel hard now. Um, But living through that is hopefully something that I think will help them in the future. 
And, you know, they're fortunate to to be growing up in a world where there's all kinds of automation just, just on this call, right? There's multiple options for people to automate their savings and kind of do it more efficiently and, and have access to better products, which I think will also help. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Karina, I think that um, more opportunities out there that fintech's bringing uh, and access to more products could help. But you know, th- are these trends going to accelerate? I mean, it looks like we're heading into negative interest rate territory in the UK. A lot of Europe already is. Uh, the US interest rates are, look like they're going to be long-term low. Like The market for traditional savings products just isn't what it used to be and doesn't like it will ever exist again. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, as... Um as I was saying before, like more now than ever, um, it's so important for us to kind of like find alternative ways for people um, to basically get a return on their savings. Um, what I mean, for example, what we're doing at CHIP, like we're going to launch a number of um, passive investment funds um, beginning of next year to really try and basically like help people get some returns on their saving in like a relatively safe um, and easy way. And I mean, I think like, you know, um, in terms of like Gen Z, uh, if anything, like the pandemic really kind of like accelerated their, uh, their saving path, um, you know, like they, it forced them to basically start thinking about saving earlier. And I think like in the long term, we'll, we'll kind of like have a positive impact on them. There's some great studies that show that the earlier you save, the more you end up with. And then there's also this psychology side of it that says you see your future self almost as a different person. But like a pound saved at 20 is worth nearly 10 at 30 and so on. It's just, it's absolutely nuts uh, how, how that difference kind of goes. And um, just to, oh, sorry. Please, please, please. <laughs> and just to add, like, I think there's like simple things. Like I was reading that, you know, the simple things, like as you were saying, like, creating habits as early as possible will benefit them in the long term. So like even simple things like, you know, being like cooking at home rather than like eating out, then kind of like makes people realize like the impact that that has on your savings. Um, And I think like, yeah, a lot of like, it it will benefit them in the long term. It's this forced lifestyle change to being really thrifty and you can't even eat out anymore. And uh, yeah, it's interesting social experiment on what what does that mean for people's lives. Uh, Speaking of like behavioral psychology, Giuseppe, I'm interested as to why you guys went the sort of um, the the coins rewards route as a part of savings. What was what was the driver behind that? Well, look, um, uh, people are concerned that they cannot save they realize that despite that they despite the fact that they are concerned that they are aware that they should be saving they don't do it why is that uh, because uh, there is a self control problem we cannot self discipline ourselves we prefer instant gratification instant gratification to delayed gratification we prefer things that make make us happy now and the root cause of that is that uh, uh, the, the the saving the saving uh, uh, thought process requires requires a rush, a, a ra- a rationalizing requi- requires uh, a thoughtful process so it's painful for us uh, there is actually a, a, a book uh, thinking fast and slow that explains how how our brain is wired into system one and system two system one being uh, the emotional effortless uh, uh, system that that is active 99 uh, percent of, of time and drives our life 
versus system two, which is the rational part of our brain, which, however, is, is dormant. We need to wake it up. And the problem is that the decision to save is a system two decision. So our thesis is, uh, can we turn the saving decision from a system two decision into a system one decision? Can we frame our irrational behaviors for good? Turning save from a delayed gratification into an instant gratification. And this is what we are doing at EverUp. We are making saving fun uh, and get everyone to save. I think that psychology thing is so important. If you there's not just the stick of hey, you need this now. There's not just a pandemic saying uh, this is important, but actually, hey, it, it might not have to suck so much. And and if it's not out of your way, let's reward you for for, for doing it a little bit more. Um, just to um, just kind of build on that point. I mean, uh, the Chris, the the demand for that wealth management and the instant frictionless side you kind of covered off earlier. I wonder how much the um, the shift in demographics are impacting that as well. I mean, we've seen some stark stats when it comes to uh, savings between genders. Um, you know, the, I think the women's average savings in the UK is around £7,000. Men's average is 13000 But we also saw from a 2019 survey, 72.5% uh, of British high net worth women admit they think men and women have different uh, investment attitude. Hence, many wealthy women admit that they don't trust the male wealth managers with their money. There's a whole segment and demographic shift that's happening in society that that um, that fintech can play into. So, how do you think about those demographic shifts, and and how do you think the role of fintech plays into that? Yeah, it's interesting. I, I saw I saw a post in the in the kind of pre conversation about does does this differ with genderless digital products, and I'd never really thought about whether whether digital products have gender. So this was a an interesting uh, topic to think through. But yeah, I mean, I think right now the you know, we kind of often say the old boys club, you know, the you go in and the investment managers and everyone's going out for drinks like that's gone in this generation. Right. It's all online. And, you know, I, I I'd like to think that when it comes to how we think about building products and design, um, you know, we're not taking any of those biases into place. And we're talking to people of all different, you know, genders and races to try to build a product that appeals and, and benefits everyone. Uh, and that's kind of how we feel as a company. So I, I, I do think that the shift to digital will really open up, um, you know, equal access to everyone for automated savings, automated investing and all of these things and and kind of play a big driver in helping everyone move up um, as they get older. And, and especially, as you mentioned earlier, start younger. Yeah, that's that's that start younger thing is, is so, so key. Karina, how do you think about the demographic shifts and social shifts and how they play into savings habits? Yeah, so I mean, I think technology like is making it so much more accessible, regardless of like gender and race, and it's really like it, it's really like kind of like breaking down those stereotypes of you know investment and like wealth management is for like white males, and it's much it's making it much more accessible and democratic like, and democratizing it, and also like I mean, I think as a product person, so the product manager. Um, I really believe that, you know, to build the best solutions, it's super important to understand the problems that people have. And there's a, a huge opportunity in understanding what uh, problems, for example, women are having in terms of investing and saving. 
and really like especially because their needs are clearly not being met by the traditional industry and so it's a huge opportunity to kind of like tap in that market and like really build solutions and design solutions that solve those problems for them I think that that one thing keeps coming up is is how much you all speak to customers and how much like actually having those one on one conversations is so so crucial to to really think about how you're designing product uh, and historically at eleven fs we talk about that um, banks have used digital to reduce their cost of distribution of the products they already had. But what you're talking about is fundamentally reshaping the product itself, not just the look and feel of, of the digital front end, but the core, how the product actually works financially, how the product works in kind of tandem between the financial product and the digital product and bringing those two together. I think that's a core insight in the difference between fintech and um, some of the traditional products that are out there. Um, Giuseppe, I'm, I'm going to go round table here as we look into the future. What are your predictions for 2021 in the wealth and savings industry? What other developments do you expect to see? Uh, I'll give you three predictions. Uh, the first one, uh, obviously, some is a prediction which is very close uh, to what I do. And uh, so I see gamification and game design in financial services are, are, are becoming a thing. Making things fun is solving a problem. If you turn a boring product into a fun product, you can win. Um, the more a product feels like a game, the better the odds for success. Uh, rewards drive engagement, uh, putting a habit-forming pleasure into a proposition. So every transaction can get a random reward. You open the app to see what you have won this time, coupled with social and viral reward. You can team up with friends to win bigger prizes. Second, uh, second prediction, uh, sustainable finance. Any form of financial service uh, that integrates uh, uh, ESG, em environmental, social, and governance criteria. Uh, for consumers, is increasingly uh, important the link between uh, how your savings are invested in the impact that uh, has on the world. And once this, links, this link become, becomes more and more evident and quantifiable, it, it will fundamentally alter the way markets invest. Third prediction, embedded finance, uh, integrating a financial service or technology uh, with a traditional non-financial service product or technology. Embedded finance will allow organizations and enterprises to open up new revenue streams, uh, reinvent the services they offer for, 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 their, for their customers. Uh, so it, it, embedded finance is a lot of a lot of potential in my, in my yeah uh, well as, as regular listeners will know we've we've been hopping on about that a little bit through our bank as a service report and embedded finance report as well so uh, Giuseppe I definitely agree three for the price of one that's how you make some savings um, so thank you so much Giuseppe uh, so I, can I just briefly say as well on game design I think in a like in the back of my head was always that person at a bank who was really cynical and in the back of my head that person in the bank who was always really cynical is saying well, what have video games got to do with banking but game design is a fundamentally different thing and and that that sort of um like superhuman is the classic example of somebody who understood that like there are things that designers of games do that create human motivation and human reward uh, and behavioral psychology and i think that point's so important giuseppe sorry you wanted to jump in there and it's about using those principles for good, for good causes, to incentivize saving or 
for to incentivize people to borrow responsibly, for example, to repay their debt faster, or, mm-hmm. or, or to borrow to 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 borrow when they can, uh, to to improve their credit score. Yeah, we used to talk a lot about gamification, but people saw the symptoms of game design rather than the rather than the principles behind it. Um, I think that's so so crucial. So thank you for bringing that up. Uh, I, I guess uh, Chris, I'm going to come to you. Uh, you can do three if you want. You can just do one. What are your What are your big predictions for the for the next year and beyond? Yeah, sorry, Karina, I'm going to do three. So if you, you give you a little time to make sure you have three too. Um, yeah, so I'll give one kind of like market industry thought and and two kind of company product thoughts. So. We've just seen a, a record amount of uh, interest in investing, and I think that will continue. There's a lot of new first-time investors, and so I think as we go into 2021, we'll see a lot of young professionals uh, start to try their hand at who tried their hand at day trading, kind of move more into passive investing. I think it's it's a trend that we've seen with lots of different generations, and so I expect that to continue uh, on the product and kind of. Industry, company side, I think two big things. One is on automation and one is on speed of money movement. So I think we'll see whether it's the companies themselves or if if you know we were fortunate to have uh, any type of kind of regulation that required everyone to work better together. But either way, I think you'll see lots of speed of money movement. I, I would hope that in 2021 is the year that you know the time it takes from the moment you get a deposit of your paycheck or, or any income into an account that it can go wherever you want it to go that day and be invested that day and all those kinds of things. Uh, And then when it comes to automation, I think the breadth of what automation can do will grow. I know for us today, you know, we can automatically identify extra cash and and invest it. Uh, In 2021, I hope that, well, not I hope, we plan to to be able to say, okay, we're going to automatically make sure your emergency funds topped up. We're going to automatically save towards your down payment. We'll also top up your IRA or your retirement accounts, your investment accounts, your college, you know, educational savings, all while you don't have to think about it. So the breadth of automation, the speed at which money moves will kind of all be factors that are compounded by the fact that I think lots of people will be kind of really much more interested in investing than, than we've seen before. That's kind of interesting that the, the they've moved from that sort of day trading into longer term are partially driven by the pandemic, and then the automation keeps them there. Uh, it's an interesting combo to think about and and uh, and really play with. So thank you, Chris. Um, Karina, uh, the floor is yours. Do you got three? I have three as well. Uh-huh. <laughs> and uh, I mean, the first one is not too dissimilar from Chris's. Like, I think definitely one of the major trends that we will see will be more investment funds and especially passive investment funds, relatively low risk. And this is mainly because I think like, you know, interest rates are so low and people are looking for an alternative and uh, that will be kind of a a very uh, plausible alternative. And then the second thing, it's definitely like, I think very specific and um, yeah, very specific and almost personalized thematic funds. So really like um, relating on what people care about. So, well, I, I mean, I think like, you know, especially millennial people and like Gen, like Gen Z people are looking more than ever to invest in um, themes that they care about. So, for example, sustainability, for example, gender equality. So finding like, you know, funds that like focus on that and, you know, it's not just about like, you know, making something with your savings, but it's also about making a change in society It will be bigger and bigger. And then the last thing is, you know, there will be more and more value on 
user experience like in terms of like frictionless super easy super fast um ways to like open an investment fund or or ways to save without having to go through kind of like you know all of the traditional admin and really like opening it up to like you know the wider public and and making it like very very frictionless and very very easy for people to access here let's hope the future is bright the future is saving a lot more automating it and kind of really getting to that point where um you almost don't need to form the habit the habit forms for you um because it's so damn frictionless and so damn rewarding to do so um and uh lord knows with the amount of money being printed lately uh being in equities probably isn't as dangerous as it used to be uh so let's let's see if that all happens we should come back in a year's time and see if those predictions come true we'll we'll hold you to them for sure uh thank you so much everybody for joining me on today's discussion uh where can people find out more about you and your companies chris yeah so uh wealthfront.com uh for us you can check it out or download the app uh in the us for ios and android and then i'm at hutchins on twitter brilliant uh, karina you can uh, download the chip app and access the best interest rate on the market uh both for ios and android and you can find me on linkedin and that's in the UK for our US yes, listeners. Yes, absolutely. Just uh, in the UK. And Giuseppe. Uh, you can find EverApp at uh, everapp.uk and soon in the App Store and Google Play Store. And you can find me on uh, uh, at gcaltabiano on Twitter and uh, Giuseppe Caltabiano on LinkedIn. Fantastic. Um, I, I, when you say it, it sounds so much better than when I say it, Giuseppe. Thank you so much. Um, and you can find me at SYTaylor on Twitter or Simon Taylor on LinkedIn. Thank you for listening. If you like what you've heard, please remember to subscribe. Don't forget to leave us a review. And it really helps us make the show better. So pass on the pod and tell all your friends about it too. Uh, if you want to join the conversation, find 11FS on social media or search for Fintech Insider. And of course, if you want to bother our production team, you can get in touch podcasts at 11FS.com. Thank you very much and goodbye for now. <laughs> <laughs>